So Money episode 145, Andrea Warrock. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Ever notice that women's products sometimes cost more than men's? From shaving cream to haircuts to even home loans, women sometimes face bigger price tags. And I will be the first to admit that I have experienced this. And our guest today is working vigilantly to educate and combat what she calls the pink tax and gender price discrimination. Andrea Warrock is a nationally recognized consumer and money-saving expert who regularly contributes to leading national and regional news stories. She's appeared on NBC, CNN, Fox and Friends, and ABC News with Diane Sawyer, among others. She's been in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Money Magazine, and Kiplinger's. When Andrea isn't sharing money-saving strategies in front of the camera, she's busy behind the scenes writing about it. And now she's on the podcast. Three takeaways from our interview. The truth about the pink tax and gender pricing as she sees it. How for Andrea, buying real estate in Florida ended up being her so money moment. And how she dug herself out of some $10,000 in debt during college, credit card debt. Without further ado, here is Andrea Warrock. Andrea Warrock, welcome to So Money. I'm so excited to have you on the show, a kindred spirit. Yes, and thank you for having me on. It's always nice to talk with someone who knows about money. And we, although this is the first time we've spoken voice to voice, we are active on Twitter, engaging on Twitter. We actually decided that we wanted to connect on the podcast on Twitter, just a you know, hint to those of you listening, if you want to get in touch with me, Twitter's a great vehicle. Uh, but you initially approached me because um, we kind of connected on this issue of uh, gender price discrimination, um, the pink tax. This is an area that you have been devoting quite a bit of your uh, efforts to as a financial expert. What do we need to know about this? Is this really as rampant as it sounds that women are getting uh, price we that things cost more for women than they do for men and everything from like deodorant to a mortgage. Yes, it's really interesting. And I talk a lot about this, whether I'm being interviewed for a TV show or writing about it for a personal finance site, but it's looking at what retailers or brands do to maximize their profits and to kind of trick you into spending more money. And gender pricing is an area that hasn't been explored too much. It's something that I don't think a general public or women, overall women know or really realize how much more they're spending on personal care items. But it is definitely happening. And uh, well, one reason that women don't notice is because the women's products are separated from the men's products. So the opportunity to compare prices or to see that price difference isn't really available because they're not side by side. They're not in the same section. And part of it happens, that, as far as I understand, so there's clearly like two, two, you know, two deodorants, <laughs> one for her, one for him. One's in the pink bottle, one's in the black bottle. The pink one is more expensive. Um, but even for things like a mortgage where there's – or a car loan or um, something where there's maybe some room to negotiate, um, women don't negotiate as often as men do. And that's another way that we're getting hurt. 
Yes. And I would say when it comes to those personal care items, that's definitely a more prominent one or a little bit more obvious. And I think it's understandable that women in general like to spend more to look good. We have more products that we use on a daily basis to feel good and for presentation purposes. But you bring up a really great point that women in general aren't thought of as um, the bargaining people. They're not the ones who, um, you know, really necessarily always stand up for themselves when it comes to prices, when it comes to consumer goods or being taken advantage of, unfortunately. And so um, there, there is a little bit of uh, a discrepancy or difference there for women when they're spending on, on everything, like you're saying, car loans and mortgages, even healthcare, health insurance companies have been using gender rates because the women, women need doctors for, you know, uh, for many more services than men do. And unfortunately, that's hurting our pocketbooks. And so what can we do besides just not buying into it or taking your business elsewhere? Is there, are there movements to really, uh, rectify this from a legislature, from legislature? Yes. I would say that, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, there are, there are laws that are being set in set forth in place. I know California, for instance, has has banned gender pricing. Um, and there are health insurance companies that are being scrutinized for gender rates. And we are moving towards hopefully eliminating and reducing that. When it comes to just your typical everyday purchases or those big ticket items, you have to be an educated consumer. Do your research online. Go to that loan officer. Go to that car salesman with as much information as you can so that they don't take advantage of you so that you can negotiate with power and you can, uh, you know, try to get the best price. What got you started on this to become so passionate about, about this issue? Well, I think, um, I've been writing stories on different ways that, like I said, stores may use marketing tactics to get you to spend more. And so that's something that I am really passionate about. And I, I think it's really interesting because you you hear so many consumers um, worried about how much they're spending at the store, but yet they overlook the little tactics that trick them into buying more that um, make by just being aware of these scenarios, by being aware of these marketing schemes, you can be a more informed consumer and make better buying decisions. And um, so when I look at the gender pricing, specifically as a female as well, it's really hard to swallow this pill that says we need to spend more money for these goods when they work just the same as the products that men use. Um, and in fact, I only use men's razors and men's shaving cream. Oh. And uh, yeah, and, and I, what I found really interesting was I was watching a few videos that were trying to debunk this um, quote unquote feminist view of, you know, consumer goods for women costing more, that there are people out there that, you know, argue that that's not really the case because these brands spend millions of dollars to develop these products specifically for women. But when you look at the ingredients for personal care items specifically, side by side to the male products, the active ingredients are the same. 
And, you know, I think these brands and these companies are saying that females need all these extra, you know, a a razor that contours to all your curves on your leg. But when you look at a man's face, I don't think his face is flat. I think his razor has to contour to all his curves as well. So, you know, you need to really look beyond and look at what these brands are really saying so that um, you can decipher the truth behind it. What about the argument that from the from the retailers that well we you know we spend a lot more money marketing to women the cost to market that that uh, you know feminine version female version of whatever you know costs us more so we have more overhead when it because you know women we now are the number one consumer you know we are right. it was as far as household budgets go we manage the purse strings so what do you say to that is that even is that first of all is that true and second is it justified. You know, it does seem that these brands are spending money for marketing. They're spending money on the package design. Unfortunately, why is that our fault? Why do we have to pay more for their marketing? Um, you know, they're also telling us that we need to buy all these extra items, that we need to spend more to get this woman's product because it was specifically designed for the woman's body, for the woman's whatever. And um, it just seems unfair and unjustified when we don't have another option. You are wise on, on, money, on many topics, not just gender pricing, but also um, really all consumer money-related issues. And you've been nationally recognized, money-saving expert. You've been everywhere, every talk show, um, all magazines. When it comes to your own personal financial advice that you live by, what would you say is your number one money mantra? I think it's important to realize that saving money doesn't have to mean you're going to sacrifice your lifestyle. I, I met so many people, whether it's my friends or family or just a consumer on the street where they don't want to give up, you know, going out to dinner on the weekend or they don't want to give up their daily activities. There are alternatives to those by just doing a little bit of research. You can still save money while enjoying your lifestyle and still pursuing your dreams. So I think that's one of my the biggest perspectives is to find the alternatives to swap your overspending and look for ways uh, to cut back. And then ultimately, my biggest mantra that I follow is not to waste money on things, to spend money where you're going to build memories like traveling, um, a new experience with your family. That's worthwhile for a splurge. How did you gain this perspective? Was it something that you learned as a kid? What was your biggest money memory growing up that influenced how you think and act with money today as an adult? Well, I think that's an interesting um, topic to bring up. My grandparents immigrated to the U.S. from Ukraine in the 1940s. And so they're of a war generation. They had no money in their pockets. They started from scratch here. And as we were raised, although we were privileged, we were raised to not be wasteful, um, to, you know, use public transportation. And so I just had a more frugal beginning, I suppose you could say. And then just through growing up and in college, um, I got into debt. I learned that that was not a way I wanted to live. Uh, I learned how to dig out of it. And then I began traveling and I just realized what joys and experiences that fulfilled me. And by just seeing other people around wasting their money on a BMW car or designer jeans or a name brand purse. I just thought they seemed like they were going to live such empty lives and unfulfilled lives. And that's not what some, not what I wanted to do for myself. 
Well, along the way, did you experience failure? What would you say was your number one financial failure to date? You know, and I think that I continue to have financial failures, unfortunately, and we all will have um, ups and downs and we'll all make mistakes along the way, but it's learning from your own mistakes. But I would say the number one mistake I made was uh, credit card debt. And as much as my parents tried to teach me about money, I never understood how bad, what what kind of a dilemma I could get into with credit card debt when I was in college opening up a store card to get a discount so that I could afford clothes um, and then not paying off that balance or um, getting an American Express credit card so that I could take a trip with my friends for spring break in college. Um, you know, and unfortunately, it took me a while to dig myself out. But once I did and once I found the tools to help me get there and learned how to save money. It, it Living debt-free has been such a much better way to save and plan for retirement while also affording the everyday uh, activities and lifestyle choices I'd like. Was it a lot of credit card debt at one point that made you go, whoa, wait, wait a minute, I can't do this anymore? Yeah, I think at one point I had over $10,000 in credit card debt. I didn't understand, and, and that might not be even that much when we look at what the average consumer household debt is today, but um, when you're 20-something and you only have an internship that's making $8 an hour and you're living in New York City and can't afford rent as it is, you can't pay down that balance. You have student loans. I was I was just drowning in debt. Um, and it was, I didn't, I didn't see uh, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, you know, it, it did take some time to get myself out of it, but I realized that I needed to supplement my income. I needed to waitress on the weekends so that I could use that money to pay it down. Um, I started to understand what APR and interest was. And so unfortunately, through that bad experience did come something good. But it would be great, I think, if um, you know we began that education from a grade school level so that children and high school students and college grads understood what personal finance is and what credit card debt APR interest rate is. I don't think that there's enough education out there for it. And I love that you started working and making more money because while I think you would have still been able to get out of debt had you just you know, budgeted and been really, really strict about spending, that would have taken probably a lot longer and it would have been more painstaking. But yes. instead you worked and um, what, so you said you, um, you were a hostess or a waitress? Yeah, so I did waitressing. I also did, uh, was not my happiest moment or my proudest moment, but I, I did the, the bar shot girl thing at the, uh, one of the bars in New York City. <laughs> you were that girl? I was that girl. I only did it two times. I couldn't handle it beyond that. But, you know, it, I think if you have the extra time, if you find yourself in a bad financial situation, don't, don't waste time sitting on the couch watching TV. Do something about it go out and try to find an extra side gig, a side hustle to help yourself dig out of that debt faster. And like you said, why, you know, it's just going to take you a longer time and you can get into a better situation faster and save more money on, on that debt or interest rate. Agreed. Well, let's talk so many moments now, Andrea, like we just went over some failures and some embarrassing moments, but, um, what would you say is your greatest financial achievement? 
What, you know, uh, I'm pretty proud that I have a rent, a vacation rental property in Florida. And what happened was I um, partnered up with a, a brand. I had some side income, um, some passive income. And instead of spending it on things, I decided to invest it and prepare for my future. So I, um, along with my father, who's definitely one of my me- money mentors, he we found a foreclosure in Florida, and I scooped it up at an amazing price. I renovated it with my husband. We spent two weeks just hands in, dirty, gritty, like getting in there, changing the floors and painting and all that. And, um, and now it's a weekly vacation rental in the summers and in the winters, I have monthly guests. I manage it all on my own through VRBO. Um, there's a lot of ups and downs with it, a lot of struggles, but once that mortgage is paid off, um, in a few, in 10 years and the guests are paying it off for me, it'll just be a cash cow and I'll be able to use that for a retirement fund. Way to go. And you know what? It's because you approached You approached a scary thing at a scary time. You know, people were running away from housing during that time, especially in Florida, because that was where things had really suffered. And so you saw an opportunity there. And that's actually something that Warren Buffett has always preached is that, you know, when everybody's running for the woods and everyone's scared, you want to be brave. I think that's a great point. And I realized that this was I'm a big believer that the scariest opportunities that you're facing, the biggest risks oftentimes will be the biggest payoffs. And when you are feeling scared, that's the moment that you jump and you try it. And um, I-, I knew I had a cushion um, that I knew when I compared the prices of other houses uh, that were going uh, uh, for regular sale, that I was a re- a going in no matter what, I could turn around and sell it and still make a bit of a profit. Um, and I-, I know that if anything happens, I could still sell it. So at the end, um, you know, I, I am giving myself a little protection, but knowing that I was going into it so with so much fear, I knew that it could be a, a big payoff in the end. Yep. Dance with the fear, as they say. Yes, I agree on that. What is your so money ritual? Uh, you know, we always say that having a healthy relationship with money comes down to practicing good habits. You can't just be wake up and be good at managing money. It's very few of us can actually do this um, without any kind of, you know, kind of daily conditioning, you know, or maybe not daily, but weekly or just some sort of conscious conditioning. What would you say is your number one financial habit? I think it's, it comes down to tracking and being aware of what's going on with your finances. I think because, you know, we have so many accounts, whether it's a cashback credit card, your travel reward credit card, your mortgage, um, my car f- loan, um, uh, retirement funds, IRA, all these financial accounts in one pl- uh, it, It's nice to keep them all in one place. So I... First of all, I review my credit card and my banking statements on a regular basis. We know with the increased data breaches that retailers have been experiencing, it's important just to be aware of your money and make sure there's no theft going on, but also uh, be aware of how much you're saving, how much you're spending, and make sure that you're not overspending. And if you notice that happening in a, in a certain category, I, I look for ways to make, sh- make sure I, I start cutting back. So I would say it's just tracking and being aware of that. Um, and that goes into almost all principles of life. If you track how much you're eating, if you track how much you're exercising, you're going to be more aware and more um, apt to make better decisions for yourself. So I think that comes down to my money as well. 
I did this with my health maybe several years ago. I, I never liked getting on a scale. Right. And you know, you hear that expression like, you know, ignore the scale. It's just a stupid number. Like you're not, you're more than a number. <laughs> well, guess what? I ignored the scale and, um, always felt unsure about my health. You know, like I never was able to really get to a, a, a place where I felt like I just, I wanted to be able to measure my success. You know, I wanted to be able to say, right. okay, well, I, I've been conscious about my eating. I've been working out. Let's just like, I felt it in my clothes. I want to see it on the scale. And, yes. and so that for me was helpful. And I go on every morning. And even though sometimes I don't want to see what's on there because it's been a really bad weekend of eating. Um, it's just good. It's a good reference point. It's a good reference point and it'll help you make better food and workout choices mm -hmm. later that day or in the week. And the same goes with your money and your debt and your credit card. Um, you know, I, I remember from when I was talking before about being in debt, I was afraid to even look at my credit card statement. I didn't even want to sign online or, or look at the statements that came in the mail. Um, and, I, you know, being aware and seeing those numbers will help you make better choices when it comes to shopping, spending, or paying down those, those credit cards. Absolutely. All right, Andrea, ready for some so money fill in the blanks? Oh, let's go for it. I'm such a dork. <laughs> if I won I like the it. lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is go traveling. I know that's probably not the best answer from a personal finance expert, but it's my greatest passion. And if I die tomorrow, at least I will take my travel memories with me. Where would you go? I would try to go to Southeast Asia. I have not been there yet. And I just, from so many people I've heard that it's beautiful. And once you get there, it's pretty cheap, it sounds like. And sometimes you never want to leave. I have friends who go there and they're like, they sometimes never come back or they extend their trip. So that wouldn't be too bad, I guess. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better or both is. Oh, gosh. Um, ooh, my gym membership, um, you know, it gets me motivated to work out as much as I try to think I'll work out at home. I just won't. And once I go through the door at the gym, I know that I'm I have a plan to follow or a gym class that I can attend. And I do not mind spending money on Pilates classes, on spin cycle classes, as long as it betters my health. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on, maybe too much, is? Oh, gosh, my dog. It's <laughs> <laughs> I love him. He's the cutest. And um, I will go out of my way to take him to the beach. We will buy him the best organic health food, probably unnecessary, but um, we, we spoil him with toys. Um, yeah, I would say it's my dog for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're not alone there, I don't think. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's see. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? I wish I would have contributed more and started donating to my 401k uh, more when I had that first gig at 23 years old. I certainly would have had a, a higher amount of my retirement savings, but playing catch up isn't too bad now. Absolutely. You know what? Once you recognize it, just start filling the gap. And now I can at least tell everybody who's younger than me, do it. Yes, exactly. When I donate money, I'd like to give to blank because... I like to work with a lot of different charities. I'm actually associated with the Junior League of um, 
the Junior League of Bakersfield, and we work on a lot of different women's and children's organizations. Um, so specifically, I've donated to um, the the there's a. Uh, Dream Foundation in town, which helps um, foster kids, um, get tools and resources so that they can enter the real world upon emancipation um, with a little extra head start. Fabulous. Junior League is a great women's organization. It is. And you meet so many women from different walks of life who um, really can help you learn and grow in different ways. And I'm so money because... I'm so money because I am dedicated to helping other people find simple solutions to their daily money woes. I mean, I really am just um, always looking for a different way to save and to help consumers find different ways um, that they can uh, boost their savings while still enjoying their everyday life. Love it. Love it. Love it. Andrea Warrock, thank you so much. Everyone, check out Andrea's website. It's her name, andreawarrock.com. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Andrea, her website, andreawarrock.com. Also on Twitter by the same name, Andrea Warrock. All this info at somoneypodcast.com, as well as a transcript from this interview. And if you've got a question for me, hop on to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, Ask Away. Every weekend, I answer to you. And as a reminder, if you'd like the chance to win a free 15-minute money session with me, go to iTunes, leave a review for the show, and you just might win. Every Saturday, I pick one new reviewer to get a free 15-minute money session with me. And who knows, you might be next. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope your day is so money. Oh,